Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, June 27th. Coming up, what happened when private equity firms got involved with rural hospitals in Missouri? With this particular hospital company, they didn't really know what they were doing. But first, some headlines. While the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas is primed to fight abortion, other churches are asking their congregations to vote in support of reproductive rights. KCUR's Beck Shackelford-Wanganga has more. Following the reversal of Roe v. Wade, Kansas will be one of the first states to vote on abortion rights. At its August 2nd primary, an amendment to remove the right to an abortion from the state's constitution will be on the ballot. Reverend Rick Behrens from Grandview Park Presbyterian Church in Kansas City, Kansas, said he's urging his congregation to vote no on the amendment. It's really disappointing uh, and painful to realize that we're taking this step backwards. Behrens, who presides over a predominantly Hispanic church, said these kinds of restrictions affect poor people and people of color the most. He said he thinks most Kansans want to protect reproductive rights. They just have to get out and vote. People in Kansas City demonstrated all weekend in support of abortion rights. Alexis Redfern Ogun Yimmy was at a protest on Saturday. She's a high schooler from Olathe who won't be old enough to vote in the August referendum. It feels a little um, nervous because I know a lot of people who are my age really have like an opinion on this. And it's really important for them because they're going to be 18 in a few months and like they can't do anything. Redfern Ogunyemi says she's doing what she can to spread awareness about the amendment. She says the government shouldn't be able to control people's bodies. Proponents of abortion rights are looking ahead after the procedure was effectively banned in Missouri. Banyan Lee Gilmore is with Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis region and Southwest Missouri, which ran the only remaining abortion provider in the state. She says one way to combat the state's so-called trigger law is passing federal legislation legalizing abortion everywhere. We certainly hope that this is the final wake-up call that providers like us on the ground have been hoping and waiting for for years, if not decades, for our allies in Congress to do what they need to do. Meanwhile, in Kansas, opponents of abortion rights are celebrating, but one activist says there's still more work to be done. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more. Max Langston regularly stands in front of the Overland Park Clinic to confront patients and workers and attempt to dissuade women from having abortions. He says he was disappointed that police did not immediately start arresting people following the ruling. Now he and other activists say it's time for Kansas and all other states to eliminate abortion rights entirely. They now have the opportunity to uphold their constitutions and uphold the law of God by abolishing abortion is murder. Langston says he's pinning his hopes on the August 2nd primary election in Kansas, which includes an amendment that would remove the constitutional right to abortion. Over the past two decades, the number of private equity firms buying hospitals has risen drastically. One startup bought two hospitals in rural Missouri and shut them down. Sarah Jane Tribble is a senior correspondent for Kaiser Health News who investigated that story. She told me what happened and how it affected rural Fulton and Mexico in central Missouri. Can you talk about what are private equity firms and why they're getting involved with rural hospitals? Yeah, so private equity firms are private companies. They borrow money and raise funds from private investors 
the strategy for private equity firms is to buy cheap, rural hospitals are cheap, and expect quick returns. Some experts told me they expect returns in five to six years. And you mentioned in your story that this has been happening more frequently over the past couple of decades. How common is it for private equity firms to own hospitals? Yeah, it's increasingly common. So there were some researchers out of Duke and University of Texas in the Anderson Center that did a a great study uh, in the last few months. And they found that valuations of the deals in healthcare for hospitals has increased 20-fold since 2000 to 2018. So the valuations went up from less than $5 billion in 2000 to more than $100 billion in 2018. It's still not the majority of deals, but it's certainly increasing, and, um, and they expect it to continue. And you reported on a hospital in Missouri that was acquired by private equity. Can you talk about how that happened? Yeah. So let me kind of start at the beginning. I had been doing some reporting for a couple of years on a hospital that had closed in Fort Scott, Kansas. And um, it closed in late 2018. And I got a call from a source there saying, hey, there's a new company interested in buying the property and reopening the hospital. I thought this was odd because all my reporting showed that this hospital closed because of low volumes. It didn't have very many patients in the beds. A lot of rural hospitals in Kansas in particular have uh, less than two patients in beds per night. This was one of those hospitals near the end. So the, the trend there for reopening the hospital really raised a lot of questions for me. Who would be the patients? How would they keep this running? Who was the company that was buying them? So I looked in the company. It was a new company out of Kansas City, um, and they had already bought two hospitals in Missouri. What I found was this new company was part of the portfolio for a private equity slash venture capital fund named Nutera Capital based out of Leawood, Kansas. And this Nutera Capital actually had owned um, the rights to the Fulton, Missouri Hospital for a number of years. And when I actually emailed one of the folks who helped co-found Noble Health, he said the goal was to save a rural hospital. I think he was referring to that Fulton Hospital because it had been on the brink of closure at one point and it was on the brink of closure again when um, Noble bought it. So that was the first purchase. And then they purchased the Audrain County Hospital in Audrain County, Missouri. Um, also known as Audrain Community Hospital. That hospital was a little bit of a different story. It had been very successful for decades. It was a huge regional draw for a lot of patients, but it had been, uh, I think, a publicly owned hospital, and then it was bought by SSM Health, which was a Catholic nonprofit. SSM was trying to offload it because of changes in rural healthcare, and the only buyer was Noble Health. It was 30 miles down the road from Fulton, and I think that this firm really saw that they could consolidate some operations and help turn them around. That was the initial um, investment strategy, I believe. And so how did this acquisition change care for patients? Right. With this particular hospital company, they didn't really know what they were doing. I was just talking to somebody who was working at the hospital, uh, is no longer working at one of the hospitals because they're closed. But she recalled for me that when they came in, they didn't have a good handle on you know, patient records, how to process forms, claims weren't getting processed, they weren't getting money from insurance companies, and and so forth. So immediately there were changes the staff saw, and that began to trickle down to patient care. Eventually, by January 2021, inpatient services shut down at Callaway County's hospital, the Fulton, Missouri hospital. And then when inspectors came in to review the operations of the hospitals, they found, you know, that patients weren't informed of their rights, The inspectors also found at one of the hospitals, they saw a woman stabbing herself with a pen in the behavioral health ward. 
They saw a man go without oxygen for a number of minutes after surgery. And they saw a man go without medication over the weekend because that medication wasn't available. So some of these charges on patient care, some of these findings were really, um, really striking and unusual. In fact, in Fulton, Missouri, the inspectors named the hospital with immediate jeopardy. They withdrew all the patients, the three patients from the hospital, because they didn't trust them to be safe in that hospital. So in your story, you also reported on how it also affected the availability of supplies that were used in treatment, right? Yeah, I was really surprised. I was talking to Dr. Joe Corrado. He'd been a general surgeon at the hospital for 40 years. So he was there during the boom days. And he said that he would start going into the hospital the day before surgery. And this is in Mexico, Missouri, to make sure the supplies were there. When I asked him more about it, he said, you know, towards the end, Noble had begun paying one, uh, employees one week and paying for supplies another week. He found that often if a supply wasn't there, they would run down the road to Callaway to borrow supplies at the other hospital, or sometimes they would go to Columbia and ask to borrow supplies from hospitals there that weren't part of their network. So the supply issue was a big concern, particularly for this surgeon. So what impact did this acquisition have on the hospital's finances? Immediately what you saw was the hospitals began paying rent. Um, I have documents showing that Callaway Community Hospital was paying a monthly rent back to Noble Health. Uh, It's a classic private equity move. If you buy a hospital, you'll separate out into separate companies the operations and the real estate, and then you'll make the real estate pay the operations. Um, This really impacted the bottom lines of these hospitals. It didn't have great operating margins to begin with. Um, So that was sort of the the most obvious thing that we saw in the documents. And the hospital also applied for some pandemic financial assistance from the federal government, right? Yeah. So the timing of these acquisitions was such that they were able to apply for CARES Act funding from the federal government, ARPA funding, American Rescue Plan funding, rural ARPA funding, as well as PPP, the Payment Protection Program for Employees. They did that. They went out and applied for all the the grants they could. I found millions of dollars worth of um, CARES Act and PPP money in federal databases that had been sent to hospitals. Um, And then also the Missouri site has a site where you can track CARES funding and there was money there. And then I did public records requests for the local um, entities, the, the counties. And they also passed along CARES and ARPA funding for those. Um, Actually, my reporting started with Fort Scott, Kansas, because when they went to study whether they could reopen the hospital there, uh, the city and the county approved spending a million dollars in their ARPA funding to pay for that study, that feasibility study, um, which Noble did deliver uh, late this spring. So how does it affect a rural community when the local hospital shuts down? The ripple effects are seemingly endless. Jobs disappear. Usually hospitals in rural communities are either the leading employer or one of the top employers. And not only are they leading employers with the number of jobs, but they're good jobs. They're uh, white collar jobs. They're well-paying jobs, technicians, doctors. They're the type of jobs that really boost the economic foundation of a community. And when those jobs disappear, you know, you may not have the same um, sort of professions in the community and folks coming into the community. Then there's also the trickle-down effect economically, and there's been lots of studies on this about the dollar amount reduced from tax revenues and incomes in um, rural towns. And there is a direct effect. There's less money to spend at the local stores because there's less employees. Um, 
And that's just the economic effect. The healthcare effect is, is striking. In the story I write about Dee Tate, she is a cancer survivor. She's living with cancer. And she was receiving her chemotherapy and treatment at the local hospital with her local oncologist. He's gone now. He, you know, cancer center's closed. I was told that their, the cancer center had a roster of around 500 active and um, ongoing um, patients who were under you know, surveillance. All those patients now have to drive to Columbia, Missouri, which is 40 plus minutes away, depending on where they're at. And if you think about it, because Mexico's hospital, the Audrain County Hospital, was sort of centered in a regional hub, there were, it drew patients from 40, 50 miles around. That was Kaiser Health News senior correspondent Sarah Jane Tribble. You can find her story at kcur.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more coverage of abortion in Kansas and Missouri from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.